What we're looking at today is God doing mighty things and, and people who are maybe considered little bits in the world. We're going to be looking at, uh, we're looking at love because the, the, the way things go in my mind as far as Advent is uh, we, we sit in hope. God fulfills that hope by sending us His Son, Jesus. As we are told in John 3.16, this is how God has loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. And so we, we focus on, in, on the Sunday of love, Jesus' arrival. Even though we're in the time of Advent, so we're going to hold off for His arrival till Christmas Eve. And then next week we're going to get into joy, because when you receive God's love, when you receive Jesus Christ and you believe in Him, the result is joy. When Jesus came to the earth, the result was joy to the world from the angels and then once we have received him and experienced that joy because we have jesus in our lives we find ourselves at peace with god and have the ability to be at peace with all men and so that's why the last candle before christmas eve is the peace candle so there's a there's a progression there they they're supposed to build off of one another and so today, as we are thinking about Jesus' coming, His arrival, His presence in our lives, God's love fulfilled and personified to us, we're going to look at the pronouncement of this. Just as last week we saw the pronouncement of uh, John to Zacharias, today we are going to look at the pronouncement of Jesus to Mary, somebody who would definitely have been considered small and insignificant in her time. A, a young, betrothed woman in a backwater town in the sticks. And that is what Galilee was considered, and that is what Nazareth was considered. As uh, Nathaniel says, you know, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was the mentality of the people. If, if you were uh, well-to-do, if you were a good person and you were influential, you were in Judea and you were in Jerusalem. But Galilee, you had to go through Samaria to get there. It was called Galilee of the Gentiles. They were the people who were kind of out there. You know, they weren't, they weren't the Ivy Leaguers, let's put it that way. And so, in this environment, we are told, uh, and as we begin in verse 26 here, Elizabeth has just become pregnant. She has kept herself in seclusion for five months. And in verse 26, we're told, now in the sixth month. So, everything is being measured off of when John, when, when John uh, was conceived. In the sixth month. So, she concealed herself for five months. Now, it's the sixth month. So, it's a month later from that story, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. He's more important as far as the community and the society is considered. She's a virgin, and what does her importance have? What makes her important? Who she engaged to. She is engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, and he is of the descendants of David, and that's important. So 
Joseph is a descendant of David. She happens to be engaged to him. Oh, and by the way, and the virgin's name was Mary. So, so she's introduced, but then Joseph takes stage, and then we finally get her name. And, and in verse 28, we find out, and coming in, he said to her, the angel Gabriel, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, now twice, first he introduces her or he greets her, Greetings, favored one. And then when she's perplexed by this greeting, this is not a normal greeting, and this is not a normal person who is greeting her, although you you can't help but wonder if maybe he has softened himself some as he is approaching her and coming to her and talking to her. Maybe he is not all uh, scary angel-like. But he comes to her, greets her, tells her the Lord is with her, and, and that word, perplexed that this greeting has uh, perplexed her it's the the idea of to be agitated that um, she is being stirred up or troubled she doesn't quite know how to accept this and and there are so many things going on right now here you have a stranger Uh, we don't know how he is presenting himself as an angelic being or more human But he is saying things, and that's what she focuses on, or at least that's what Luke focuses on as he is relating this story. She is perplexed at this statement, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now remember, last week when when the angel came to Zacharias, that was the first uh, manifestation of God's Word, uh, an angel coming and speaking to somebody, in over 400 years. They had not had prophecy. They had not had uh, direct revelation from God. And here an angel now is speaking to her. And and where Zacharias was in the temple, where God's presence had left, here now an angel shows up in the temple. and, And all the people are outside waiting. And so it's not something that just slides by. He comes out and they all know something has happened here. He has had a vision. Here... He comes to a woman, a young woman. She's engaged to be married, and she is alone, as far as we can tell from the text. She is in Nazareth and Galilee. It's not where you expect, and it's the type of thing where you can't, you know, it can just slide right by, be unnoticed. And and what perplexes her is this this greeting, this statement that he has made, and she is thinking about what does this mean? What could this possibly mean? Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. What makes me a favored one? What do you mean the Lord is with me? And, and, and the idea here is with you more than, say, all the other Israelites and what is normal for us. And, and so she's confused. So the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. He knows her name. You have found favor with God. And, and the idea of having found favor. Let, let's focus, I guess, first on this idea of being a favored one or having favor. It, it's the, the word for favor here is the word that we translate often as grace. It, it's the root word. Uh, it's the, the, um, where we get charismatic from. 
charis. And so it means to have grace. And to be a favored person means to have been bestowed upon with a certain amount of grace. And so that's what he's saying, that you have been bestowed upon with grace. You have been given grace. You, when he says, uh, you have found grace, it isn't something that, or found favor. It's not something that she went and, and earned or worked for or developed for herself. That word found has more the idea, uh, it, it does have the idea to, to learn and discover, but it can also have the idea as to obtain or to be regarded as. So the idea here is uh, you are regarded as being favored. You have found favor, not through any agency or action of her own. She's just going through her life. But all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, greetings, favored one. Now, the issue of Mary and how does she, a human being, bear the Christ child? Uh, as uh, the Eastern faith calls her, she is the God carrier. You know, that she literally carried God in her womb. How does a human being do that? And so there have been several different ideas that people have come up with over the centuries to try to figure out how was it possible? What was so great about Mary that she was able to be God's, son, God's mother? That she was chosen to be his mother. She must have been really spectacular. She must have been maybe even perfect. And so you get the, the Catholic Church that has this, this belief that uh, in, in what we call the Immaculate Conception, not to be confused with Immaculate Reception, right? but the Immaculate Conception is that in a moment of purity, her parents conceived her and did not transmit their sin to her. Did anybody see that in the text? I didn't. That is all made up outside of the Scripture, in a human, feeble attempt to try to figure out how can a righteous and holy God, how can the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of God, be born of a woman? Well, she must be an exceptionally greater woman than all other women. That's not what it means when it says, greetings, favored one. Mary has done nothing other than be born to her parents, be living in Nazareth, happen to be related to Elizabeth, who we are going to find out is her cousin. God is working all sorts of things together. She is favored not because of some special thing her parents did when she was conceived, not because she has lived her life without sin. No, she, there is no indication that she has done anything other than not be married and not know a man yet. But she happens to be of the right lineage. She happens to be of the, the family of David. She happens to be marrying a man who is of the family of David. She happens to be the one that God has chosen. God's agency, God's purposes, are what make her favored. She has grace, not from herself, but because God is showing her grace. Grace is a thing, it, it, the, the whole idea, when we talk about somebody having grace or charisma, what we mean is that they have some kind of a gift from God beyond what normal people have. 
If a person moves gracefully, what we mean is, is they don't clod around like normal people, but they seem to have something extra. Not, not from hard work, not from their own abilities, but given to them by God is the idea. That's the root idea behind grace. And so when the angel says to Mary, favored one, you have found favor with God, he isn't saying, you did so good, Mary, you're getting a gold star, and your son's going to be the Messiah. He's not saying that. He's saying, God has chosen you for a special thing. That's what makes you favored. Because God has chosen you for a work. You're going to become special. You're not special. Other than everybody's special, we all recognize everybody's special, but you're not special beyond that until what God is going to do in your life. She doesn't earn this. She is given it. And a similar thing for us in our lives, when we think about receiving Christ, when we think about being righteous in God's eyes, how do we obtain that? Through the work of Christ, that we have to receive. We do not earn God's favor. There is nothing you can do to earn grace or to earn God's favor. We, we don't do it. There, there is nothing about us that makes us special to God that He says, well, you've earned this. I'm reminded of a story, a, a, a man who used to be the president of Compassion International. When he was a little boy, he was a, his, his dad was a missionary in West Africa. And, and they heard about a village where people were getting sick. And, and, and so they went to that village and the father, his dad, looked around and saw things and he realized that they were, the, the way their, their water was in that place was unhealthy. And so he went about uh, shoring up the banks and doing certain things that we could humanly do so that the water would run quicker. And he also encouraged them not to wash in certain parts, but wash in other places and, and drink from this water. And when he was doing all this work, the, the people of the village kept saying, what have we done that you would do this for us? They, their, mind, their, their way of thinking was, we must have done something to earn you coming and doing this for us. What is it about us? What have we done that is so great that you are doing this for us? And he had to communicate to them and try to help them comprehend the idea of you didn't do anything. I'm doing this because I serve God and God loves you and so therefore I love you. And I'm doing this because I want you to be healthy. and No other reason. They could not comprehend that idea. And a lot of times we struggle to comprehend that idea. We think we've got to do something good enough for God to be happy with us, that we have to make Him happy, that we have to please Him in some way that He might give us grace and forgive us of our sins. And there is nothing you can do to earn God's grace. We do not earn God's favor. And, and Mary has not done anything to earn this. She is a normal human being going about a normal life until God interrupts her life and says, you're going to be favored. You are favored because I am choosing to do something in your life. 
That's what happens. He comes into her life. He chooses her out of all the women. I'm sure that Thank you, son. All right, is that better? How long ago was I out? All righty. <laughs> All righty, sorry about that. But yeah, I'm, I'm hearing it now. That's much louder. Thank you. All right, so uh, I have interrupted what the, uh, the angel was saying to her. When he said, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God, he starts in verse 31 to explain to her how she's going to experience this favor. He tells her in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now the word, the name Jesus, it's uh, from the Hebrew word uh, Yeshua, or Joshua, and it means God is salvation. So when she, he says you're going to name him uh, Jesus, it, you know, in, in our way of thinking, Jesus is like this singular uh, name. You know, most Anglo people, nobody names anybody Jesus. In other cultures, obviously, we have a lot of hey, uh, Jesuses. But when you think about it, every kid who's named Joshua or Josh is named Jesus. It, it, it was a very common name. And it meant God is salvation. That's why Jesus isn't just Jesus, but he's Jesus of Nazareth. Which Jesus? Where did he come from? Kind of idea. And so, but when he says you're going you're gonna to conceive in your womb and bear a son and you're going to name him Jesus, just like with uh, Zacharias, with John, you know, the angel is saying this is what you're going to name him. You're going to name him God is salvation, Jesus. He goes on in verse 32. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. This is just amazing stuff that the angel is sharing with her. You're going to conceive and have a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So you're, you're in the lineage of David, and he is going to be the one that fulfills the prophecy of, of a son that will sit on the throne of David for eternity. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, which is an idiom for Israel, forever. His kingdom will have no end. I mean, which of those things is the first thing that you're going to just fixate on? You know, I'm going to have the Son of the Most High. He is going to be the Messiah that fulfills the prophecy of David's throne and his kingdom. His kingdom's never going to end. How could that possibly happen? Mary doesn't pay attention to any of that. Mary says in verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? Literally, they didn't actually have a word for virgin. Literally, since I know no man. I know, K-N-O-W, no, N-O, man. How can this be since I don't know a man? Now this word know is the same idea and the same word that Zacharias had last week when he said, how can I know this 
for certain? How can I have experience that gives me knowledge? Not just I take your word for it, but prove it to me. In this way, and this is, this is the way they, they spoke about uh, women and men and being uh, married, is that you knew one another. You went beyond the, the uh, fully clothed social interaction. You went into a room together. You got naked together. And you began to know one another fully, was the way they spoke. So she says, I've never slept with a man. I'm not currently married. How can I possibly have a son? That's her question. She isn't doubting the angel. Zacharias was saying, how can I know this for sure? She's not saying that. She's dealing with a very real question in her mind. You've told me I'm going to conceive and I'm going to have a child. I'm going to have a boy. I'm going to name him Jesus. Yada, yada, yada. How can that be? Because I'm not married. I don't know a man. She doesn't even get to wrestling with the whole Most High, Son of the, you know, Son of the Most High, Throne of David. She doesn't even get there. She is fixated on this question: How can this be? I, I'm, I'm not the type of person that has kids. There are certain things that need to happen for me to have kids. And so the angel answers that question to her. He comes back to her in verse 35, and the angel answered and said to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you." So you're going to have the Holy Spirit in your life, maybe just for a portion of time, but you're going to have the Holy Spirit come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, will, will envelope you, basically, is the idea. That the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the power of God is going to take over your, your body. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. In, in other words, the creative work of God that he did in the very beginning when the earth was formless and there was no light and God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And whenever he said, let there be, whatever he said, let there be, came to be. That creative energy is going to overshadow you and the power of the Most High will come upon, will overshadow you and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you're going to conceive a child. You're going to conceive a child through God's creative work. And the child, the holy child, shall be called the Son of God. And then to help her understand this concept, this idea, which has never happened before, it is really literally taking us back to creation. He is going to create a being in her womb without any male involvement, without any intercourse happening. Just going to start it off. He says, and behold, pay attention, look at this. Even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. So remember last week I said there was a reason that God enabled or allowed Zacharias and Elizabeth to be barren for so long and waited for them to become old? This was all part of God's work because he knew that there was a young woman who was going to be told something so fantastic it was going to be hard to believe. But he gave her a stepping stone. He gave her something that was somewhat believable. 
At least she would be able to see it with her eyes. Whereas Zechariah says, how can I know this for sure? The angel gives her the help. The angel gives Mary the sign and says, check it out. Your relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And she is old and she was called barren. And the reason for this is the very next passage that we're going to look at next week. Mary gets up right after all this happens. Mary gets up and runs to Elizabeth's house to see what the angel has told her. See, there's a thing. God isn't always against giving people signs. There's a difference between God voluntarily giving signs so that we might, those of us who are weak or who are young or who who are being told something that we cannot possibly comprehend, And then there's the other half of people who are demanding a sign. But God doesn't have any problem giving people signs. Jesus came and he healed people. And his healing of of the blind and his healing of the the mute and the the people who were uh, paralyzed and leprous, it was all to point back to the words that he was saying. He didn't have a problem giving a sign. But when people demanded a sign of him, that's when he shut it down. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. Mary is not wicked and adulterous. Mary isn't saying, prove it to me. She's just saying, I don't see how that can happen. Because in her way of understanding and throughout history, such a thing has never happened before. And so the angel explains it to her that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. His power is going to overcome her and she will have a child. And he gives her now a sign, and he says, look, your cousin, elsewhere, this translation says relative, but elsewhere she's called cousin, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. And she's she's having it six months. You know, and what's important about that? Six months, you're, you're showing. She no longer can hide it. It's evident. For Mary to go and see Elizabeth and to realize, wow, this is real. I can see it. That's what the angel is doing. He is giving her encouragement and support. But the big thing here is verse 37. He wants her to know when she sees Elizabeth, he wants her to know when, when she considers that Elizabeth, who was barren, who was beyond the age of childbearing, is now bearing a son. He wants her to know nothing will be impossible for God. If God can do this, God can do that, is the idea. If God can make Elizabeth be pregnant, now how did that happen? Through the natural way with Zacharias, her husband. But if God can make an elderly woman who has never had children have a child, I want you to know that God can make a woman who has never known a man, a young woman who doesn't even have a man in her life in that way yet, bear a child. For nothing will be impossible with God. And the way that the Greek is written, we translate it. When we translate it, we rotate words around. Uh, the nothing is, is truly a word that means uh, a word. It's, it's the Greek word rhema, which means a, a word or a matter or a thought even. And, and it's, it's, it's the idea that not impossible is anything for God. 
And, and we, we flip that around the is anything to, to nothing. We take that not earlier and we, we add it there and say nothing. But it's the idea that, that not just a thing, but no rhema, no word or thought or matter of God's is impossible, is the idea. If God has proclaimed something, it's possible. This doesn't mean that there is nothing that is, uh, th- that all things are possible for God. God cannot sin. God cannot go against his own um, being, his own nature. So, so, you know, technically, yes, there are things that are impossible for God. But the things that are within God's nature, the things that are in keeping with him, nothing is impossible. The things on this earth and the world that are within his physical realm that we say those are impossible, they're possible with God. If he so declares, if he so desires, he can do it. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Not anything that she does, not anything that uh, Mary has done, but God in his own choice, in his own wisdom, in his own power, will make it happen. The same is true in our lives. Anything that that God has proclaimed and declared will happen. It's true. God has the power to fulfill his impossible proclamations. Even in our lives. There are people that will say, oh God can't forgive me. Oh, I've done too much, or oh, I'm too bad. God can't do this. But no, God has said that we all we need to do is to believe in the one in whom He has sent. To believe in Jesus Christ. God can do that. If you ever wonder why, how is it that Jesus, one human being, God in the flesh, dies on the cross one time, how can that possibly pay for all the sins that I've committed, much less all of us here, much less all of the world. And and it's not a volume thing. It's a proclamation thing. You know, what, what is it about a sheep that its death on an altar cleansed sins? Nothing. But God declared He would receive it. The reason why Jesus death on the cross is sufficient is because God has proclaimed it sufficient. That that He is able to conquer our death in Himself through His death and resurrection. Nothing is impossible for God. Because God has the power to fulfill His impossible proclamations. And so God has the power to overcome our sin. God has the power to forgive us our sin. No matter how great, no matter how desperately we feel unworthy, God has the power through Himself to do these things. He proves it to us through a child born to a virgin who was able to go to the cross. He further proves it by not just dying for us. Anybody can die. But what does Jesus say? I lay down my life. 
I take it up again. Nobody takes it from me. Nobody else has the power to take their life back. But I do. He proves His power. He proves that He is the one through these things that He has done. Through giving uh, Mary a child and then through His death and resurrection. Particularly the resurrection. That's what proves His death on the cross works and has power to forgive us our sins. What do we do when we realize that we cannot earn God's favor, but that God has the power to do those things that we feel like are impossible? And He calls us and He says, repent and believe. When He calls us to do something that we don't see the ability to do it, maybe God has called you in your life and you know His Holy Spirit speaking to you to reconcile a relationship and you say, no God, that's impossible. That person is so far gone, or quite frankly, I am so far gone, I don't want to re- reconcile with that person. What do we do when God calls us to the impossible outside of our own ability? It is His favor, His grace. How do we respond? Notice in this entire thing, Mary, she's told all these wonderful things about this potential son she's going to have. She can't get past the first statement. How am I exactly going to get pregnant? That, that, I don't, that's, how's that possible? But once he has explained to her this, that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow her and her holy child is going to be called the Son of God and not only that, I'll give you a sign, proof that I can do it because I've already made your relative Elizabeth pregnant. Mary's response in verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. Just as the angel said, Behold, even your relative. Hey, look! Mary's response was the same. Hey, look, the bond slave of the Lord. Behold, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She accepts it. It sounds marvelous. It sounds like too much. She doesn't nitpick about anything else. She doesn't ask any other questions. She has been floored, I think. She has been hit with so much out of a water hose of grace, she can't quite take it all in. But she says, Behold, bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. In other words, may what you have said happen in my life. That is her way of saying, I accept this assignment. I am your slave. I'm your, your servant. May what you have just told me happen in my life. May the Holy Spirit come upon me. May I conceive a child. May He be the Son of the Most High. May it be true. Allow it to happen. She accepts the assignment. She doesn't necessarily understand everything. You know, She, she spends a lot of time in these early uh, chapters pondering. You know, the, the angel's statement to her when he comes to her, she is perplexed and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. When, when the shepherds come and say, hey, some angels told us that we would find a baby in a manger and we see this baby in the manger, so he must be the one that they were talking about. Mary just kind of treasures it in her heart and ponders. 
And then when they go to the temple and, and uh, Simeon comes and prophecies and then Anna is praising God, Mary is just kind of like pondering. Even later on when Jesus is in the temple and they finally find him, what have you been doing? You know, she treasures it all to her heart. She can't quite comprehend everything that's going on, but she, she just accepts it. She goes on with it. She believes. She can't necessarily explain, but she believes it. But to believe isn't enough in the way that we use the word in English in America. You know, we can believe something without it coming true. We can believe something without it affecting our lives. We can believe something without changing how we live. That's not faith. That's not belief. What Mary does is she hears it and she accepts it. She hears the word. Notice she says, may it be done to me according to your word. According to what you have spoken to me. May it happen. But ultimately what she has done is she has accepted it. She's accepted this part that she's going to play. She's accepted that she's going to have an experience that no other human being on earth has or ever will again experience. We can even look to a couple of guys who didn't die. They've got somebody they can talk to about it. They can say, man, what happened to you? I was just walking with God. Next thing I was gone. What happened to you? Oh, I, I knew he was coming, but he came down in this fiery chariot. Took me right up to heaven. Mary is alone. The only one who will have this experience that she had 2,000 years ago. The Holy Spirit came upon her. It's never happened again. She accepted it. She participated in God's work by saying, Here I am. May it be done. In our lives, that's all we really can do. God is the major actor in the world. He is the major actor in our lives. He, he invites us to participate, and we are able to, and we get to do some good stuff. But ultimately, our lives are cast by whether or not we accept or reject what God has told, told us, what He has declared. And, and what we need to do is we need to accept God's Word. We accept it when we believe what has been told to us about Jesus. We accept His Word when we believe in Jesus. I, I kept it on the little slide, on the little uh, sheet there, you know, lowercase word. Not just bit uppercase, but we accept His Word as in Jesus, but also to accept His Word. What has He said will happen? What does He proclaim through Scripture? What do we know from what He has shown the church and those around us? When we accept something, that's an act of faith, especially coming from God. When we accept what He has proclaimed. Because when you accept it, you take it in and you go with it, in other words. It's not an act of, oh, I believe that's true, when I don't actually live that way. But when we accept it, now it becomes ours. 
When we accept Jesus Christ, He becomes our Lord and Savior, not just the Lord and Savior. When we accept the truth of our need for Him, we acknowledge that we're sinners. We accept the fact that we can't do it on on our own, that we need His grace, His power to save us. We need to accept His Word, just like Mary did. Behold, bond slave of the Lord. And that's all it takes. All it takes to to believe in Jesus Christ and to to be forgiven of our sins is to declare our faith in Him. It doesn't take any special work, special action. It, It really takes accepting. I'm a sinner. I need His salvation. And the way He has done it is to say that I believe in Jesus. Reminds me of Naaman the leper. He, he wouldn't accept. When he went to get healed of his leprosy, Elisha sent his servant and said, just go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. And Naaman wouldn't accept it. He said, there are better rivers at home. Why am I going to go bathe in this dirty stream? I thought he was going to come out and do something. I thought he was going to wave his hands. And one of, his, one of his men said, look, you know, uh, if he had told you to do something great, you would have done it. Why not when he tells you to do something so simple as just go and bathe? Why don't you do it? And because of that advice, Naaman accepted the instructions that he was given from Elisha. He went to the Jordan River. He dipped himself into it seven times. On the seventh time, he came out and he was clean. That's faith. He actually went through and accepted what was told him. That's what we are called to do. To accept what God has called us to. To accept who God has made us to be. To accept the work God has given us to do in our lives. Just like Mary. God shows His favor upon you in love. He shows His favor on each one of us in a different way but also in the same way through Jesus Christ, His Son. Will you receive Him? Will you accept it? And believe that what God says is possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that You have shown us that we, are, we have not done anything to obtain Your favor. And... Even those things that we try to do to make you happy, we recognize uh, there's so much sin in our lives. It's the willingness more than the actual action that is pleasing to you. Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your children, to believe in your Son, Jesus. And there are many things that we find impossible in our lives. But You have proclaimed them to be true. You have proclaimed to us that if we would have faith, that You would do wonderful things through us. You have proclaimed that no matter how sinful we are, no matter how far away we feel from You, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, we will be forgiven and given life. Father, we pray today that we would accept Your Word. 
None of us has anything as great as what Mary was told. But yet you have given each of us a part to play in your work and in your kingdom here on earth. Father, we pray that we would accept that role. That we would accept as that role changes over time. That we would seek to serve you and to be available for you to work through. We pray, Lord, for all those in our lives who don't believe in Jesus, who have not come to a saving faith. We pray, Lord, that they would see, that they would hear, that they would believe, that they would accept Him as their Savior, that they would accept the truth and follow Him. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.